Happy Tuesday! And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. I gotta tell you guys, as MMA fans, we are spoiled. We just wrapped up another great weekend of UFC fights, and coming up on today's show, I want to talk about Max Holloway versus Arnold Allen. I'm also going to tell you why John Jones is lying to all of you, and I'm going to give you my pick for Alex Pierre's first fight at 205 pounds. All of that coming up later in the program, but let's begin here. Max Holloway called out Korean Zombie. Now... Max's reason was very unique and frankly it was awesome he just said I fought everybody of my time all the top guys that were fighting when I was fighting trying to be a top guy I've competed with except one in that zombie and there was a time when Max was in the division and hadn't yet broken into the top 10 and zombie was the number one contender I think he was ranked number two but he was the number one contender he got the fight with Jose Aldo just to offer context for you of how long Max has been studying guys, including that one, and never matched up with them. It's very unusual that somebody coming off of a loss would get in there with somebody coming off of a win, particularly a very clear number one contender. And then in Max, and you got a guy coming in off of a loss. Zombie's already accepted, but he accepted and he wanted to do the match for the same reasons that Max asked for, which had nothing to do with personal beef or conflict. They just thought between them they needed to wrap that up. I think we all get that, right? That's pretty cool. And they'll probably go in that direction. But I, quick time out. What's Max saying? What's he saying? Is he saying, this is the last thing I have to do? Is that what he's saying? But hey, before I go, I need to. This is what I envisioned. I've still got one more. And Max is very young, right? Max can't forget that. But I don't want you guys to forget that. Max even had a record, guys, at one point. He was the youngest guy in the UFC. Now, I want to say he was 20 at the time that he, he had that. And there might be a little bit more ink to that, like he was the youngest featherweight in the UFC. But I don't think so. The way I remember it, and I'm going back, this was 2013. We're on a card together. We fought on a card together out in Boston. I think it was just flat. He was the youngest guy. Got brought in. He fought Conor McGregor on an undercard. Could you imagine Max Holloway, Conor McGregor? They're on an undercard. But it was just the time that they were at, right? I didn't know these were world champions. I didn't know these were main eventers. Really interesting to think about it from that perspective. But hold the thought because he wants to take on Zombie. And there's just a part of me that's like, hey, whoa, Max, I got to remind you. You're young. You know, Max is fresh. Max is getting better. Max is looking better. He did stuff in the Arnold Allen fight, particularly defensively. Like, Max's offense was very on point. He usually goes to the body a, just a little bit more than he went to the body on Saturday. But defensively, I think there was a time that Max got hit. And right as he gets hit, but he turns with it. Do you guys watch Slap? Do you guys watch the Slap? And you, you've seen, Don't act like you don't. You've, you've at least seen it on TikTok. One of the very few things that you can do from defense is when the guy hits you, you can turn. You can't turn before he hits you. The judges will score you down. So you got you got to really time. But that, Max did that with punches. Max was taking punches and he would turn and take all the heat off him. He'd come firing back. I'd watch him get hit. I thought, oh my God, he's, he's going to get, he's going to go down. His neck would whip his whole, but no, he was doing it on purpose. It was just an interesting thing. I'm just bringing to you, there was a new wrinkle. And you don't get better and you don't bring new things after a certain age. Max just simply isn't there. Max's best days from a physicality standpoint are still in front of him. This guy's a world champion. Max became world champion not in his prime. 
He was still approaching his prime. He was the best in the world. This is how good Max is. It was one of the things that was a shock in fight three with Volkanovsky. Fight three with Volkanovsky. History says Max wins. History says it's going to favor the younger guy. And when Volk pulled away, no controversy, not even all that competitive. When Volk pulled away, it was a surprise. But now you have to ask the question, okay, is Max still in this? Does Max still have the eye of the tiger? And coming back and performing the way that he did tells us yes, and now he's asking for a zombie. I like it. I like his reasons. I get the entire thing. I am just wondering, does Max think he's done after that? Is that what he thinks? Because Saturday, he just beat a guy who represents the next wave of guys. Arnold Allen's not going anywhere. Arnold Allen is, is ever bit a contender and a future champion, as far as a prospect goes, now as he was before those guys fought. That fight will help Arnold. But that still represents Max getting into that foray. One thing about 145 pounds, we really have just found out how damn good Volkanovski is. I mean, we really didn't know that he was to this level, did we? We didn't know that he had that kind of grit. We didn't know that he loved the sport. We didn't know victory and accumulating awards was as important to Volk as it turns out it is. We didn't know those things. But with that, there now appears to be an idea by you, the audience, of invincibility. And I'm bringing that to you because time and time again, somebody has looked the other way and underestimated Uriah Rodriguez. And it's a mistake. It's a huge mistake. Uriah Rodriguez is very meaningful to this. Not only does he have a chance to bump Volk right off, Max beat him. And I'm just reminding you of this. This is how close Max is. It's not a matter of can Max be a champion. There's two champions right now. You got the interim, you got the undisputed. Max beat one of them, right? Max is right there with them. And there is something about Rodriguez. Rodriguez is a rough guy. If you get to, if you get to know him personally, he's a rough guy. But publicly, he's not. He's very quiet. He has a different approach to this. He almost would rather be unseen, unheard, and forgotten about. But while you're not seeing him and hearing from him and forgetting about him, he's getting better. He's a video game on his feet, period. He's a video game. He is more unconventional and unpredictable than Demetrius Johnson. You are more likely to know the names of the moves Demetrius uses than you are to know the names of the moves your ear uses. He won his last two fights on the ground over black belts. I mean, I'm just sharing for you. He is getting better, and he's approaching Volkanovski like he's approached everybody else, including Brian Ortega, including Josh Emmett, quietly and unnoticed. And I know the idea of invincibility when, when, when that gets created, but nobody knows what they don't know. I'm not seeing any signs. I, I'm picking Volk. I'm not seeing any signs that something's happening there. I'm just sharing for you when you get a little bit distracted, and that can happen with success. I don't think that Volk wants to beat Rodriguez. I don't think Volk goes to bed at night. I don't think Volk's driving to practice, getting his head right, thinking about Uriah. I don't. I think he's going to bed. I think he's envisioning. I think he's driving to practice, thinking about Islam. It creates an opportunity 
And the only reason I'm bringing your attention to that fight is because whatever that happens in that fight greatly affects Max Holloway, who has said he would like to fight the zombie so it's the last of his era. Excuse me, Max, you were a young guy. You came and beat up all these guys that you think are part of your era, man. You interfered in their era. You're now in your era, right now. The guys that are right here right now, this is the time that you should have been here. This is the time where a, a normal person, age-wise, gets into the organization. Trying to work their way to a main card or to a main event. It's a really interesting spot. It's an interesting mindset. I like the call-out. I like that Zombie accepted it. I think we're probably going to see that match. From a mindset approach, Max does need to be reminded, even if it's by me and it's right now, this crop and this group, as he looks left and he looks right, this is his true era. How cool would it be to have my retirement fight against the greatest heavyweight of all time at Madison Square Garden, my home crowd? Now, these are words by John Jones. Okay, so let's unpack that. UFC is not going back to New York. I, I think it's November off the top of my head. It's it's definitely wintertime, and it's at the very end of the year. So when John makes that statement, and he's referred to Stipe many times as the greatest of all time, we assume he's talking about Stipe. When he says, my retirement fight, it was alluded to that once John gets done with Stipe, that will be the last of his era, last of his generation, and the guys he was competing with been speculated that he, he might be done and retire. Okay, so we think we know what John's talking about. How did, how did we get to this point, though? How, how did we get till November? I mean, for perspective, the first time that this fight was dangled in front of us, the audience, was for T-Mobile on December 10th. That's the first that we heard about it. We roll into the new year. It is Jones. It is T-Mobile. But now it's going to be surreal with Stipe calling dibs, and apparently Dana and Jones saying, yeah, you got dibs, you, you you got the winner. So then they said July is a date, but that falls through. And that apparently or allegedly fell through because John was unreachable. There, there was a period where nobody could get a hold of John. And I got to defend John on that just a little bit because also with this story, right? I'm sure there's all sorts of pieces that we're missing. I'm just talking about the pieces that we have. But within that, John had sent a message before he went dark. Um, when the Stipe fight's done, let me know. I mean, to me, that sounds as though John just committed to the fight. He doesn't care. He can always make the weight. He's in good enough shape. He certainly wasn't hurt from Surreal. He's been out long enough and would like to get paid. I mean, it sounds as though John is saying any, any time. I got the opponent. I, I, I understand all the rest of it. I think that John committed, but somebody wasn't comfortable. They did not agree that that was enough. Okay, great. But but now we're going to take that and we're going to move it until the end of the year. That's just a meaningful amount of time. And by the way, that would mean that the heavyweight championship is going to be contested twice this year. Generally, matches are contested and athletes compete three times a year. So that will be a return to the ring for Stipe. That will have him out two full years. Is that right, guys? He'll be out two full years by then. And I'm just wondering what to make of it. It's not as though you have a whole lot of other options. 
if if you got your card done in July, you wanted them, but you didn't get them. You couldn't reach them. Whatever happened, you did reach other people. You got that done. You move to the next one. If the next one's already full and you got somebody, you, you move to the next one. If, if the next available date that doesn't yet have a main event, which is where the heavyweight title fight is going to go, isn't until November, then that's when the fight is. Like there, there's nothing, there's nothing here that shouldn't be here. But how, how do you go underground? And John admitted to this. John said this to Stipe. Stipe went, went publicly and said, "Me, he, he looks like he doesn't want to fight me." And John said, "You think just because I went dark for a couple of weeks that I don't want to fight you? How does that happen?" I, I mean, on a different note, I don't get that. And some of you will. Some of you are what we call lazy. Some of you are what we call deadbeats, and you might not want to admit it about yourself, but if you think that it's okay for an adult, particularly a parent of five, to be unreachable for what one guy said has been since the fight, which is seven weeks, and the guy himself is saying was for two weeks. If, if you think that that's okay, right, now you know who you are. Now you know why life isn't going great. It's not okay. There has never been a doubt, just to insert myself, there has never been a day when I have gone to sleep and not returned every email, every call, and every text, and boy, that, I gotta be up sometimes. But it's it's every day, and I'm just I'm just offering that for you. I couldn't imagine. I haven't done this. I haven't gone to John's social media, his Instagram and his Twitter. But I will bet you, if I did, that period where he was dark and nobody could reach him, I'll bet you he was active on social media. So now it's not a matter of putting the device down. I'm going to go be with my family or something like that. I've got the stresses. I got the buildup. I just got to get away from everything. I mean, this isn't the dude that does all sorts of media to start with. Before you defend it, and I will also just add for you, there's no such thing as disappearing for weeks or months. Not in this sport. You must be accessible 24-7 to USADA. So he had the phone. He had the device. And he just didn't check his texts. I mean, it's a really hard one for me to understand, particularly if your boss is trying to get a hold of you to give you a multi-million dollar job, and he's only called you once in the last four years. I mean, it seems as though you wouldn't have a very good argument to be stressed or bogged down. or It's a, it's a weird thing. It really is. It's a, it's a very weird thing. Okay. Now, let's go back to John saying this is going to be his retirement fight. That's interesting to me. And it's interesting because I don't believe it at all. Not even a little tiny bit. It would actually be the opposite of making sense. It would make no sense. John just had a fight in this division and did not take a scratch against the guy that's beaten everybody else in the division. I mean, it's one of these, you don't walk away from that. It's, you keep going out cha-ching. But John is now saying it's going to be his retirement fight. So is that his new thing? Is that his new thing to do that? I've never seen. I mean, that would be very that that'd be very weak. That would that that would be low fodder and low hanging fruit. It, it is something. It is a conclusion that a dumb dumb could come to thinking he's doing something good, right? I mean, in all fairness, it's highly possible that he thought this was a good marketing plan. But if I'm to be fair to John, he's never done anything like that before. John's never pulled a stunt to try to sell a couple of tickets. That's just not what he does. So is it John's last fight? Because not for nothing, if it was, that's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And if, if the division's going to be left, I mean, again, if we think that John is going to walk away because he has nothing else to do and or prove, if we think that, and therefore you would retire, 
that'd also be true for Stipe, right? For sure. If that's true for John and we accept it, of course we have to apply it to Stipe. Now, it's not me they both have to do it, but if that's just what we're doing, this is going to be, this is going to be a last fight for two greats. That is an interesting piece of media. That is interesting from a marketing standpoint. I don't know that that sells. That's up to you guys. I mean, is that something where you go, I can't miss it, right? Laws of supply and demand. They just kick in and this is the last place of the supply and I demand that I'm going to see it. Is it? Maybe. Maybe. Or you get a guy that, that that's half out. And that's also where the problem comes. When the guys start pretending with this, uh, you know, I, I'm done, this is my last one. Whenever, whenever you start pretending with that, it starts to become a little bit more true. Because it starts to become at least a consideration. Once it's a consideration, now, now you got one foot in, one foot out. Now you got John Jones, who is extremely dominant. But if you're planning to walk anyway, there's just not a lot you can do with that. And we've seen this plenty of times. Plenty of times we've had a guy say, this is going to be my last fight. But how many of those have you seen a guy win? It's rare. It's just a rare thing. It's just It's just part of it. You're hungry and you're driven. You're going to keep going. Or you're not. You're now in a new position, which is, this is my final walk. Well, how bad do you want to get hurt on your last one? If it doesn't take you anywhere else, I mean, when it's time to dig deep, how, how deep do you want to go? Now, I'm just making these suggestions. John is very dominant. If he did something that worked against him even subconsciously, it would be of interest. It would be of it, right? You got this most dominant guy, but if you can start to find things that start to shorten that gap a little bit, perhaps they're talking points. Perhaps John really does want to be done. I I'll assure you when he's done with Stipe, he is not retired, but he might think it. He might believe it now. Either way, it appears, based on the information we have, the heavyweight championship is going to be contested only twice this year. You had one at the beginning of the year, and it looks like you're going to have to wait to the end of the year. Data revealed for us that Izzy Adesanya is lighting up the UFC. Right? Call it Hunter. Call it Dana. What's the fight? Wants to fight again, and Dana said, we're, we're going to give it to him. We're going to give it to him. He's he's going to fight. And Dana said something summer, in summer, late summer, mid-summer, something summer. You guys understand that? And you do run into a question, well, who's he going to fight? I think it's clearly Duplices. I think the only thing stopping us from making that announcement, and by us, I mean from the UFC making that announcement, is just getting the date. I can't see a scenario where it wouldn't be Duplices. There hasn't been a fight that Adesanya's had where he hasn't picked his next opponent. He lets us know. Well, he did that here too, and he said it's going to be Duplices. Meanwhile, I haven't seen anybody else going after Adesanya. In fact, I saw one guy in Robert Whitaker's sidestep say, no, my, my road back to him was through Piera. Okay, fair enough. Strickland would do the fight today, but doesn't think he can get the fight because he had lost a cannon air, and he's probably right about that. Everybody else has already had the match. Chemayev needs to have one at 85, at least, according to what we heard Dana say at a press conference. Not to mention, it looks like his hands are full with Paula Costa later. I mean, I'm, I'm just sharing for you. I feel as though I'm, I'm, I'm stating the obvious, but there's other plays there, right? There's other plays for 85-pounders to pick off Duplices. It's always a great move. It's always a great move, particularly if you don't think you can get Adesanya. And Adesanya, who's gone through everybody and some of them twice, and he's getting ready to do it a third time, some of them can't get to him. So it's a really good idea to go after the next best thing, which is Duplices, and then in the event of an upset, something along these lines, 
that you're able to, to step in there. I, I've seen the same situation where somebody would go after, for the scenario I've laid out for you, they would go after Duplices. Then right before the fight, Adesanya can't show up. All of a sudden, they're going to keep the fight, but they're going to interim championship, but they just need an opponent for Duplices, and they got one guy over here that's been chirping the whole time. It, it, it happens regularly. 185 is a very odd situation right now. Kelvin Gatzla made a statement. And he made a fair point. He said that he wants to fight Izzy. And Kelvin didn't know after his last fight, hey, am I going to still be here? Like, he didn't know. And you could see the relief and you could see the happiness. But he did make a point where he just simply said, he said I'm the number one contender. He said I flew in front of everybody. Kelvin was very measured. He said it's a fight that the fans want to see. That part he's right about. They won fight of the year, for goodness sakes. You remember the, do you remember the back and forth with Kelvin and Izzy? They couldn't get the fight. They had to move the fight. It was going to be in Australia. I mean, all these different things happened. They finally go and do the match. Both these guys look great. Even Adesanya, he threw up like a triangle on Kelvin and scrambled off the bottom. And everybody did a great job. They won fight of the night, but then they got nominated for fight of the year from the World MMA Awards. I think they won it. I'd have to go back and look. I think they won fight of the year. I'm not suggesting for you that that's the match that's going to happen, but a Kelvin versus the Duplices, absolutely. You, you can start to see things like that. And I just don't know where that division is at. Uh, let me give you an example. I, I'm making this piece, guys, but in the back of my mind, I'm coming to you after just having read that John Jones's next fight with Stipe is going to be John's last fight. It's going to be his retirement fight. Now, I think that's a spoof. I don't believe that's a reality, but I still read it. And the theory behind it is because John will have done everything. He will have proven everything that he can prove. Within the era that he was fighting, everybody when he got here, everybody when he was halfway through, and everybody that right now in his career, whether he looks left and right, everybody that was there at that same time after he gets through with Stipe, he will have competed with. That's the theory. It's not bad. I think a lot of us understood it. But we got other guys in that same spot. We got Izzy in that same spot. I mean, is that it? Go beat everybody and you're done? We're going to retire Volkanovsky? I mean, he's trying to find something else on his own. He knows he's cleaned out the division. He, he's, he's willing to, to go up and do it again. I mean, he's trying to find it because some of these guys are hungry. They're still driven. Adesanya's in a wildly precarious situation because he, I mean, he lapped the division. That's a term, and I realize that that's a colloquialism that's been used before, but it's never been used in our sport. The entire phrase lapped the division when Dana Wright coined that for MMA had to do with Adesanya. Nobody's ever done this. He's got heat, he's got problems with, with one guy, now he, he's fixed that, now he's right back to lap of the vision because that guy's got I me, mean, it's, it's one of these unique spots. Should he retire? Should he leave? Should he be forced out? I mean, what do you do? It's a, it's a really unique spot. We have multiple guys like that. Dustin Poirier, to an extent. Max Holloway, for sure. Robert Whitaker, for sure. I mean, these are number one contenders. They're the baddest dudes out there. But there's one guy. Right? Like there's a, there's a guy, there's a little bit of a story, there's a little bit of a history, and there's opportunities that have already, already been given. It's, it's a unique spot. It's one that we need to figure out. I mean, it's one that we really need to figure out. I have been surprised at the lack of pushback when John made this statement, it would be his last fight. When I was a child, and you guys did this as well, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it, but you know you've done this too. When I was a small child, I would say things that I knew weren't so, or people didn't want to be so, just to get the praise. Right. Uh, if I did something in, in art class and I did a great job and I looked around, I could see all my classmates, I knew mine was the best and I'd hold it up and go, 
oh, this is pretty bad. So that they would say, oh no, that's really good. That might even be the best in the class. Or so the teacher would say, it's just, it's a thing that you do. But you do it as a little kid. You lose a little kid that's starved for attention. So when the heavyweight champion of the world comes out and he sets something out just to get people to say no, no, don't stop. You have so much more to do. Ah. It's weird. It's weird to me. But people accepted it. Nobody did do that. Nobody did throw that back and say, John, you've got several years left. John, you've got a gap. You've worked so hard. You've got this gap between you and everybody else. Keep going out there. Keep making the money. Keep building the memories. Keep building the legacy. I was surprised at how few people did that. And that's always the risk. When you come out and you faint a retirement just hoping to get attention, if you don't get it, all of a sudden you are oh, well, maybe I do, do need to go. And you really find it out when you, other people accept it. I mean, that's the ultimate one where you throw it out there, but then all of a sudden the promoter goes to the meeting and he's moving on. Yeah, we're going to do this fight, but then after that, I'm going to bring these two guys in and we're going to fight for the uh, the vacant title. And that's where you start going, hey, man, I didn't even mean that in the first place. I'm still, oh, God, I really am done. I mean, I'm just sharing with you. That's not the spot that John's in. John never meant it. That That's not the road I'm going down. I'm just sharing the theory and the logic behind it. I'm looking at other guys saying, hey, that can't be the way that it is. Are you guys familiar with the wrestler Jordan Burroughs? Because Jordan was for the 2012 Olympics, the 16 the 20, which ended up being 21, and he's looking at Paris in 24. And I don't even know that he's stopping there. But he's going through. And so many people thought that he would retire. Everybody else that he started with is long gone. Jordan in America, domestically, whether it's the U.S. Open Trials Final X, is not competing with and won't even be in the bracket with guys that he was competing with and were in the bracket in 2012. None of them are still here. None. He is the only survivor, but he never looked at it and said, well, I beat everybody of my time. Well, that wasn't the case. Then I'll beat everybody of this time and that time and the next time. I, I give a damn. I'm here. I'm, I'm the lion. It's a very rare mentality. And I think we need to be real careful before we start accepting it within the sport. If you don't want to accept John Jones's resignation, I think that you need to have some, some level of pushback because John's point is true. I have beaten everybody of my time. Before I go to this next crop, I got let me clear out this time. And once I do that, my job is done. And I have proven that for my time, I was the absolute best. He, he would be right. There would be no debate in it if John beat Stephen. That is true. But then you have the George Burroughs mentality, which is maybe you weren't here then, but you're here now, and so am I. So come get it. It's different. And I think that we have to be careful before we accept that. Because if we accept it for one, we could apply it to so many others. Or are we going to have what Izzy wants, which is more competition with more guys. By the way, bring me somebody new and fresh. I don't care if he's ranked number one, if he's ranked number three. In this case, if he's ranked number six, if he's new and fresh, bring me the best that you got that's new. That's not too much to ask. That's not much of an ask at all. For all the rematches, for all the stuff, for all the, the, the heavy lifting, and then redoing it. Do you know what an advantage you have rematching Adesanya? He is so unique. I mean, his height and reach alone at that division, you're unlikely to find a sparring or training partner that can do that. Then his movements, his setups, his speed, the way he's going to, uh, to fake, almost a dance move, boom, boom, before he comes and attacks you. Getting in there and being able to feel that one time, getting to come back and then go in there again, you are going to close the gap greatly. Sure you are. Uh, Whitaker would be a fine example where he did. Sure you are. You're, you're second after you get to feel that once, that unique... How many times do you want to do that with Adesanya? I mean, how many times does he need 
to do that? How many times does he have to prove and then reprove? Give you an opportunity, then give you another opportunity where you've got better opportunity. How many times does he have to do that? Now, if first time ever he's asked for something, all he wants is a guy that he hasn't fought before. Come on. Come on, we can't get in the way of that. That's perfectly reasonable. Not to mention, don't act like Duplices is a day off. Duplices can win that fight. Duplices is good. If you, if you don't know that, you don't understand that, you need to go back and you need to watch him. That young man, Duplices, he's ranked number six. There's an argument that he should be ranked number one. So Dana was talking about Piera, and he said uh, when he comes up to 205, he will debut with a real fight. That's a quote, a real fight. And we all know what that means, don't we? It's hard to define. It's why Dana did it. It's why he used that term, but we know what that means, right? It's going to be a top guy. There is nothing off the table. Championship match, walking in against Jamal is on the table. Not the likely, not the direction that Dana leaned in. But when I look at 205, I got to tell you guys, I'm, I'm flat confused. I like Jamal Hill a lot. I mean, not just the fighter. Right? That would be weird if I came and told you, I think he's a really good fighter. Oh, gee, Chael, you think the champion of the world's a good fighter? I don't mean it like that. I like from an entertainer. I like the way he walks through the ring. I like the way he talks. I like the way he conducts himself on social media. I like the faith he has in himself. I like the fact that if anybody calls him out, he's coming at him right now. He doesn't do the whole win a couple of fights and come see me. Work your way up, kid. He doesn't do that. Anybody that calls him out, he will answer and he'll tell you, come get it right now. And he means it. You can feel that he means it. I like Jamal. That said, I don't know who's next for Jamal. I don't know who's in line. I don't have a rumor that I can spread about Jamal. That's not my fault. It's not my fault. It's their fault. Somebody should be going after him. I feel as though there's a, a little bit of a punishment, for lack of a better word, towards Uncle Liav and Blahovich because of their match. I don't agree with it. I like their match. I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot. I thought Ankolaev looked great. By the way, Blahovich had to deal with that. And Blahovich has had times in his past where when things aren't going his way, he is unraveled. It was the opposite in that fight. He got he started coming on. I mean, he he really did. He really started to manage himself, started to understand where he was at. I thought he was up three. The the, the next two rounds. That Blahovich did not win, but I could tell that he was conserving, he was protecting himself. I could see the strategy. All of a sudden, instead of beating the guy, he turns into more of a strategy. He, he tries to beat the clock. Guys, we saw that it's a risky game, but we saw that, uh, just to give you an example, would be uh, Sterling versus Peter Yan, part two, where Sterling believed he was up, and now he's going to follow the golden rule, protect himself at all times, run this one out. I mean, it's a risky strategy. It ended up biting Yan in the ass. But it was a fun match. I didn't think that there was anything wrong there. And I, I'm just bringing that to you because Jan Blahovich has called out Alex Piera. Now, one more, which is Walker. Walker didn't quite call Piera out, but he spoke about him, and it wasn't overly friendly. They were fighting words. And he told Piera something. had something to do with his power. Basically, Johnny was insinuating, as much of a knockout artist as you are down here, we can take harder shots. Harder shots than you can deliver. Now, I don't need you to break that down and tell him he's a big guy and he's going to grow into it. I'm telling you what Walker said. That's an interesting match. Walker's interesting on any given day, right? 
there aren't a lot of ways to beat Walker. That, that's one thing that is misunderstood. People thought, oh, he wasn't as good as the hype and things like that. Yes, he is. Sure he was. There's, there's ways to beat him, but there isn't very many. I mean, you got to land that right shot. You got to get in. You got to understand where to put it. Even if you're going to take him to the ground, which is not a skill that Piera has, there's still only a position on the ground that gives him problems. That's up to you to go out and find him. I'm just sharing. That's, that's an interesting match. And then as we talk about 205 pounds, why don't we know more about Prohaska? I am becoming very interested in Prohaska. I was at a Bellator event. I get to have lunch and, and reconnect with an old friend in King Mo. King Mo has fought Prohaska twice. And listening to Mo, Mo was telling me about this guy. Mo was ranting and raving. And Mo finished him one time. Mo was still ranting and raving. He said the night that he finished him, the night Mo, the night that Mo finished Prohaska, he went to the locker room believing in Prohaska. Said it was just a different feel. It was a different pace. It was a different pair. It was different angles. He talked about the relief when it was done. I finished that lunch, okay, catching up with Mo, going, wow, I didn't know these things about Prohaska. You're really making me look at it different. I leave that, going back to my room, through the lobby, I run into C.B. Dalloway. C.B. then tells me the same thing about Prohaska. Had me completely interested in him. I mean, completely interested in that shoulder injury. What is that, guys? And we were told it's the worst that anybody's ever seen. I mean, I, I really would encourage you. That's your business. I mean, I would encourage you in life a couple of things. Don't tell anybody your weakness and don't tell anybody your strength. Anybody. You think they're your friend or your enemy. Don't tell them what your dream is. And don't tell them what your ailment is. I would just encourage that. Take that with you. Do what you want with that. But there's some things that you keep to yourself. So they stripped Prohaska of the belt because it was the worst injury they'd ever seen. Now, I came and told you guys you stripped him. The comments were tough. He relinquished the belt. He did not. He got stripped. I don't know why, but you guys keep pushing on that. So now I've got to push back. It's a little bit of a mute point, but I'm not going to let you in because you're wrong. That's not what happened. I know that's what he said. I'm telling you. What happened? He got stripped. But now he's coming back himself and saying, that was overblown. I'll be back. It's going to be towards the end of the year, but I will be back. That's great. That's great news for the light heavyweights. But who's it going to be back against? Is, is it going to be Hill? Is that what you guys are going to want to see? Prohaska, when he returns, should be able to return for a championship match. Can we agree on that? He should not have to return as a stripped champion to a contender's match. Can we agree? But the calendar might not line up. If we get Piera a fight in a number of months, and that makes him a number one contender, we start drawing that in to Jamal and Prohaska returns. I mean, what do we do, right? Jamal, I'm sure, would fight them both. We can't fight them both on the same night. It starts to get jammed up. But, but as you're thinking about that, right? As you're thinking about that, think about this. All of a sudden, 205 is pretty interesting. But they're not making it interesting. I, mean, I just had to reach in a whole bunch of directions, and I had to go back as far as two months to a, to a meal that I had with King Mo and a conversation in, in a hotel lobby that I had with C.B. Dalloway. I have to go back because they haven't given me anything recent. I have nothing today. Go to Mania. Go to Elbow. Go to BJPenn.com. Go to Sherdog. Go to Fighting. Go to Junkie. Do it. Really, I'm challenging you. Do it right now. None of those sites will you see a 205-pounder in a headline. And by headline, by the way, I'm not talking about the top, re, re, anywhere on the front page. And any 205, I give a damn if he's ranked number 20 or is a new guy that just got signed. There is not, there is no chatter. And guys, that's not just today. That was last week and the week before. I don't know what's going on at 205. I'm just bringing that to your attention. I have no idea. 
the only thing that has made a splash at all in 205 pounds at all is that Pierre is going to enter the division. That's it. Pierre is not exactly going to go light up the media world, but the fact that he's going the division at least got light heavyweight discussed, at least got a headline somewhere that said light heavyweight, that's weird. Why is that happening? Why? Those guys aren't duds. Jamal is definitely not. Jamal's got something to say. What, people not calling him? Are they not asking him? Prohaska has never had a more important time, which, by the way, is nothing else to do. What is happening there? Uncle Liev certainly knows what I said to be true, that it appears that he's kind of being black, but he's got to break through that. He's got to come out. Blahovich is. I'll give him some credit. But it's, it's a very interesting division. It's a very competitive division. Right now, for reasons unknown, it's a very quiet division. Hey guys, let's get our guesses in real fast. Uh, Dana goes to a press conference. This is right after Max Holloway's fight on Saturday. It gets revealed to us that Benny Oliveira is off of the May 5th card. Dana says, nah, I'm not happy with the card the way it is. That was a big fight. I'm going to replace that fight, which is what we were all hoping to hear. Dana gave a little bit of speculation, right? He was playing this pretty close. He said, I'm going to get this done Monday. So I got a race here. I got a race. I got to get this turned around and get this out because let's get our guesses in. What's it going to be? As Dana said, and I quote Dana, we will have that buttoned up by Monday. The reporter then asked a question about Gilbert Burns. And Dana said, you know, hey, is Gilbert going to be part of this? Dana said, Gilbert is lighting me up. He was lighting me up all night long. So yeah, probably. Well, that's a really big clue. What do you mean? What do you mean? Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. I, th I think we just committed... One half of this fight. So the question becomes, who could it be against? Rachmanov seems to be the answer, at least the internet sites that I go to. I don't agree. I don't think it is. Now, let me get you to where I want to go, but let me take let me take the, a journey. Okay, let me go the long way. I think that the rumor of Rachmanov and Blahal was never true. I think. I think Ian Parker was right that it was Kamara Usman hungry, wanting back in, and that he was going to get matched up with Blahal. I have no evidence. I have no proof, I just, but I do have some reasons that I think that. Uh, one example would be when it gets revealed to us that the, the fight they're working on at 170 that we all want to hear about is, is one half Blahal. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Blahal will be the A side if he was taken on Rachmanov. Like, the Blahal, isn't the, that's the name that you would reserve, not the name that you would lead with. Then Ian Parker comes out with a story. He's one of the ones that influenced me. But then Blahal Muhammad put something out that was like a side-by-side -side with Kamara Usman. Now, I'm highly curious in that because everything's on the table for Kamara Usman, of which we would fully support. But that includes retirement. If Kamara said, hey, man, I had a great run. Yes, you sure as hell did. <laughs> right, we move him right over into commentating. Maybe he'll even get into some, some kind of coaching. And we'll have that door open for the Hall of Fame for him, right? If, if that's what he wants to do. But if he's hungry and he's chomping at a bit, right? A guy in Colby that, that, that he's had success with twice is about to fight for a world title and is currently the favorite to win the title. I mean, where's Kamara at? We don't know. We don't know. But it sure would be interesting and we sure would get behind it. Now, as it pertains to Gilbert Burns, is Gilbert going in on May 5th? According to Dana, yeah, probably. Okay, great. I got I to gotta go with that then. The question would be who, and the belief is Rachmaninoff. I don't think so. I think it's Muhammad. I think it's Blahal. I mean, I'm just putting a guess in, right? 
I, I haven't asked any of these guys. I'm just putting a guess in. You want to know why? We would love to see Rachmanov, correct? Like, do anything. We like Rachmanov, correct? 16-0 and 0 and 16 finishes and 8 this way and 8 that way. But, no, but people don't know that. We do. We're, we're the hardcores. We know. But people don't know that. If Dana is trying to solve what he views as a problem at, at missing this big fight, if he thinks it's just a problem for us, the loyal hardcores, that would work. But my guess, my assumption, was that it was a little bit more about the little old lady in Iowa. That's an example they'll tell you in TV, right? Somebody's a random fan that comes across something, you get their interest, they stick around and watch. They call it the little old lady in Iowa. I think you need a name. I think that's where Blahal comes in. You also were talking about a level of courage. I mean, this would be a wonderful opportunity. If Rachmanov gets called on and says yes, it'll be a wonderful opportunity. For the UFC to test him, is this a guy, is this a true partner, is it a true professional that's ready, that understands this is when we really need you. The rest of the time we have you, we need you. When we call you on short notice, I mean, it really would be interesting. I would have no problem with that. And I knowing Gilbert well enough, he'll do either fight. But I still think it's Blahal. I really do. And you do get rewarded massively for doing a favor. If you do a favor, you... Well, get to favor. That would be huge. I mean, in all fairness, if Gilbert was to step in in a month against the undefeated Rachmanov and get a win, I do believe that he would then fight for a championship. And that would back us up twofold, which we've never been in that position. We've never been in that position where Colby's next, and then we know that Gilbert's next, and then, right? We've never done that. Never had two number ones. It's this guy, and then it's this guy. Never. But it would be that difficult to deny him. And I'm just making a guess, right? I mean, we got, we got to talk fast. Apparently, we're going to get this answer. When Dana was talking about this, though, it was very cool because he talked about other guys that wanted to stay busy, other guys that were chomping at the bit and trying to stay active. And when you talk about Charles and Benny, Benny gave us a little bit of information. Benny doesn't do a lot of that. I love it when he does, and he's a lot better at media than he thinks he is. He's a lot more interesting than he thinks he is. But Benny came out and he said, I didn't really want to do the, I didn't really want to move the date with Oliveira. That's not really what I wanted to do, but they're only going to move it a month. And so I said to them, guys, this is a number one contenderships match. But if he doesn't show up, if he pulls out for any reason, I don't want to then move it again. I just want the title shot. And they said, you got it. And that seemed very fair and very reasonable by the UFC. And I cannot blame the UFC for wanting to make this match, right? I mean, they've, they've promised it to the audience. And that's how Dana feels inside, that he's promised you guys something. You are willing to give up your time and your money to see it. He wants to do everything he can to bring you what he said that he would bring you. Including making this deal with Benny, which Benny was right to ask for. The UFC was right to say yes to. Gives you a little bit of clarity. Still keeps uh, Islam so he knows what's going on. And let's just imagine that Benny does win, by the way. One of the most interesting things about uh, 2000, and was it 21, the way time goes? I think 2021, I never got clarity on this, and I always wanted it, is when Dana shows up to the press conference talking about he's, he's going to make Islam versus Benny. This was the night that Islam ended up fighting Bobby Green. So now, because Benny pulled out. So we go to the press conference. Hey, are you going to make that fight? Put those two back together. And Dana said, well, I was going to, but Joe Rogan just grabbed me in the back and said, don't make that fight. I just want to know why. I've always wanted to know why. And 
I've actually been surprised that you guys didn't want to know. I thought this would be, that would be, a, why? We've never been told. And how often does that happen? How often does Joe Rogan influence Dana and matchmaking? It, one of those things. Why did Joe not want them to fight? Or was it just he didn't want them to fight then? He thought that that should be saved until there was a world championship. Maybe. Be completely open to that. But I am curious. So hopefully, right, as news is going around and some information is coming in, maybe we get all these things cleared up. But I do like to bring this to your guys' attention because I think guys with that attitude deserve credit. I mean, I, I will tell you, I'm at a level of frustration with what I'm going to call credit, but how little of it Gilbert gets. If everyone in this sport was like Gilbert Burns, he is quite possibly the best leader the locker rooms have. But I don't hear him getting talked about that way. And I think that he should. His willingness and the fact that he wants to go to work, he's a prize fighter. It looks like there's going to be a prize. They're going to find somebody opposite him. If I was to make my guess, I think it's going to be Blahal. And I do think that that will then be a number one contenders match. But I'd have to say the same thing about Rachmanov. If he was to come in, I think that match becomes your number one contenders match. And all of a sudden, whoever's not part of that is the odd man out. And one of the smartest guys out there at understanding these things is Mohammed. And I don't think that odd man out, I don't think he's going to allow it to be him. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, if you want to support the show, you can hit the follow button on Apple and Spotify. That helps me out a ton, and it allows me to keep giving you guys this show for years to come. I'm going to be back with more unmatched analysis on Friday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.